Hello and welcome to Double Edged Stories, the podcast. podcast. Uh, I am your host, Randy Skaggs. And I'm your host, David Surcha. And um, this is our show that we do together, Double Edged Stories, here in Louisville periodically. It's a wonderful live storytelling event. It is. It really is. Now in podcast form. For your pleasure. For your listening pleasure while you drive or do your housework. Um, Whatever you need us for, we are there for you. On your media. On your on your media, um, so uh, we love bringing you Louisville's best storytellers, and we have a great show for you today. I, mean, I don't know about you, but we have had a wonderful summer. It's been very relaxing. We've really taken a break from so many things. Maybe even including podcasting a little bit. You may have noticed that we took a little break from podcasting, um, but it's been great. We've hope, we hope you've had a great summer as well, and we're really happy to be back. We're back. We're back and ready for action. In fact. Before we even get to our show, why don't we tell you a little bit about our next live storytelling event? Because if you like listening to the podcast, you're just going to love the live show. Coming to our show. It's like even more live. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like I have a hype man today. You're kind of like. I'm like Flavor (laughs) Flav. Including the clock around your neck, which looks really good, by the way. Which you guys can't see. I wish you could. Just imagine. Um, So, yeah, we have our next show coming up in October. October 18th. At the Bardstown. At the Bardstown. In Louisville. Yeah, we're going back to the Bardstown for this one. Monic was all booked up. Uh, The Bardstown's pretty wonderful, especially for a show like this. There's something about the Bardstown that feels very Halloween-ish. And it is our Halloween show. Um, You're going to be hearing Louisville's scariest stories. Oh, my God. Ooh, spooky. Spooky. They're going to be so spooky. Like Count Floyd spooky from SCTV. The spooky. Yeah. That might be a little bit of a dated reference no. for some of our listeners. Not, n- never. Um, but bring someone you can clutch onto because you will leave afraid. In fact, Dave, I have heard tell that the Bardstown itself is haunted. Has spirits? Spirits. Those that walk without body? And those you can drink as well. Wow, wow. That's a, that's a double entendre. Or a pun, as yeah. some might say. They might. They might. Um, so anyway, make plans now to come to that show. Uh, you know, we'll give you all of our social media information at the end of our episode, but Facebook is a fabulous way to keep up with not just our events, but also our calls for submissions. Uh, we're taking submissions right now for that spooky Halloween show through Friday, August uh, 23rd. 23rd. And that brings us into this this episode of the podcast, yes, coming back from vacation, our theme is trips. Because we're not ready for vacation to be over. <laughs> no. All I ever wanted, vacation. And, mm-hmm. so, and so each story you're about to hear is linkable in some obvious way with trips. Yes. And we have three storytellers. Um, we have Chris Radford, Kathy Nakari, and, and actually me also, David Surchak. And so we're very excited about Kathy and Chris. And we should. And I'm excited about you. Thank you, Randy. I appreciate it. I sometimes fail to be excited about me. Um, But yeah, let's get started with Chris talking about him for a minute. So we first heard Chris, and and we believe um, it was at one of the Grand Slams, um, and Mm -hmm. that would have meant that Chris was my competitor, maybe our competitor, because we've been some Grand Slams together. The Moth Grand Slam. We always refer to it as if everyone knows what the Moth is. The Moth Grand Slam. Uh, And Chris just blew us away. And what happens with Dave and me is when we see an amazing storyteller, we begin stalking them um, and we want them in our show. And um, thankfully, Chris was not put off by our weird stalkiness. In fact, he agreed to be in one of our shows. So he has a really fabulous story about a trip that he took. And it's the perfect way to start this episode off. So ladies and gentlemen, Chris Radford. I, uh, 
Thank you to whoever got the lighting right up here. I was really worried after I saw the first three performers about this brown body just disappearing into the darkness. So whoever you are, hey, thank you. I appreciate you. All right, let's get started, shall we? So not too long after uh, Chevy Chase, or how you might know him as Clark Griswold, took his family on an epic family vacation back in 1983, I decided that I was going to make a splash on the first family furlough that I would actually remember. Up to that point, I'd been to, to Memphis and St. Louis and parts of Mississippi that I'm sure had countless Cousin Eddies there, but this was going to be a totally different experience. You see, this gray matter that was up there had a little bit more time to develop, so I was going to be able to enjoy some of my experiences in a totally different light. All the intrigue and just beauty of what a vacation actually was. The only thing that might be better is catching a really nice filly behind a cherry red Ferrari, just giving the old, how do you do? <laughs> My family and I, and a couple of friends of ours, were headed down to Florida, and we were going to the real big blue nation, the ocean. <laughs> See? <laughs> That's right. Up until this point, the ocean to me, I'd only experienced through magazines, television, and movies. But now I had the opportunity, opportunity to gaze upon all the, the beautiful blue hues that I'd only experienced in my Crayola crayon big box. <laughs> I was a little bit smarter and wiser than some of those earlier trips that I'd been carried on. You see, I knew a couple of things before we took off. One, we were headed southeast. I knew cardinal directions. I had a few more wrinkles. And number two... The thing that I thought that I knew, but I didn't really find out until long ago, it's a long fucking way down that holiday road <laughs> to Florida, like an eternity. But nothing makes up for an 18-plus-hour ride on a seven-passenger, state-of-the-art, sky-blue Ford Aerostar, like waking up to what seemed like an infinite line of palm trees and a briny breeze now entering through the window. I could smell and I could taste the ocean ever before I ever laid eyes on it. I could, I could, before my toes even touched the sand. But that was all soon going to change. We'd pull up to the hotel, shoot straight up to the room, drop our bags off, stretch to get our land legs back because we'd been cruising on that long holiday road. We'd change into our bathing suits and we'd be off to the beach. Somewhere in the midst of all that, I'd be mistaken for an Emmanuel Lewis who was 12 or 13 at the time, portraying a six-year-old orphan boy, as you may remember, as Webster. Now, if I had a few more crinkles in my cranium at that time, I probably would have looked at that poor man's Mr. Papadopoulos and in true 80s fashion told him to shut his pie hole for two reasons. One, I was already adopted. If you heard my moth story, you know that one. And number two, and most importantly, I was going to be way taller than Webster. So I thought, <laughs> we'd exit that awkward elevator exchange, and then we'd finally make it to the beach. It's breathtaking. All of God's glory right there for me to behold. I remember digging my toes in the sand, picking up as much of it as I could, being fascinated with the texture, how it could both stick to my hands and also slip through my fingers at the same time. We walked together as a group collecting seashells by the seashore until we stopped to set up shop, and there weren't too many people out, so it was a fairly easy decision. 
I did what most kids do on the beach with my trusty shovel and uh, my pail in the other hand, was I constructed a bunch of awesome nothingness as long as my parents were watching. But as soon as they stopped, rad be nimble, rad be quick, I was taking a trip on the ocean kick, boom. I was making that splash, this little brown body and this ginormous blue mass floating. Didn't have a care in the world because at that time there wasn't anything called Shark Week that was going to curb my impulses, right? And even though I had all these wrinkles up here with things developing, there's this tiny little almond-shaped thing up here called the amygdala that should have screamed out, this is dangerous! But you know who did have that developed? Everyone else that was on that beach, including my mother, who was paralyzed with fear. I don't even remember her screaming. She was helpless, as helpless as she had ever been, because at that moment, she couldn't get to me. A friend of the family ran out to me in true David Hasselhoff fashion, and without any water in the lungs, got me to shore where I was greeted with an immense mama bear hug and also admonished in the same breath like only a true loving and concerned mother could do. We'd go on to enjoy the rest of our vacation without any adventures from me, and I would love to say that I'll remember this forever and ever, but truth be told is I may not. Unlike the Griswold family, there were no sequels for us, and a couple of decades later, looking back on it, I'm more afraid than I ever was at that moment. You see, my mom may not remember that. And every now and then, I have to give her reminders about some things because she doesn't remember what I just told her from two weeks ago. In another 10 or 15 years, I'm not sure what she's going to remember. As she starts to deal with her early-onset dementia, my siblings and I also deal with it. And we start to see all those folds and those creases that we've all earned start to smooth a little bit. It's a scary thing because now that amygdala that was not developed at all is now screaming, and I'm in the exact same position my mother was in, paralyzed with fear, not knowing if I'll ever be able to get to her. So our vacation is over, but it's still a long way down that holiday road. Thank you. So how about that? Chris Radford, huh? Such a good story. He's just such a naturally gifted storyteller. And I personally am very partial to the next storyteller that we have coming up. Um, also naturally gifted, also naturally very cute. Um, and I'll be honest here, I've taken him home with me a couple Once of times. Once again, Chris Radford. Oh my God, no. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. No, I'm talking about you. Oh, me. David oh. Surchuk. Sorry, that, I know. That was cheeky. That was cheeky. So um, it is fun to do a live storytelling show. You never know what's going to come up. This was a story that I am proud to say was a day of. I mean, I lived the experience, and so I knew it was coming. But, yeah, when you do the live show, it almost always runs quite smoothly, but sometimes you have surprises. So what what Dave's trying to say is the day of the show, someone was not able to make it. Someone dropped out. That Somebody time. dropped out. Well, they told us. They did tell us. They did tell us. Um, people get sick. Things come up. Things happen. And things with a live happen. show, you know, things like that Keep rolling. are going are gonna to come up. And thankfully, both Dave and I are both experienced storytellers. We always have a story ready. We're always ready to be on the stage in the spotlight. But I have to give Dave props here because he is really great at creating a story out of the blue and just nailing it. And I, that is not my strong suit. It's called ADHD. Um, so <laughs> folks, ladies and gentlemen, David, David Surchuk. Um, 
So it's January 2nd, uh, 1995, and I am on a Greyhound bus. I'm leaving Port Authority in New York City. Now, I had just taken the Greyhound bus from Boulder, Colorado, where I had been living, all the way cross country so I could see the Jam Band Supreme fish on New Year's Eve in Madison Square Garden. <laughs> and I learned a very important truth about myself during that show, which is that I don't really like fish all that much. <laughs> and it was a really long way to go to find out. Because apparently this is like the best fucking fish show of all time. And by the third set, the third set, I was like, boy, this has taken a while. And I like the Grateful Dead, so that's really saying something. So after, after the greatest fish show of all time, I got back on the Greyhound bus from Port Authority to go back to Boulder, Colorado, because back then I was, you know, jobbing and temping and stuff like that. You take the bus. And um, we, we got to Newark, New Jersey. It was like our first stop. It may have been Patterson. And, you know, a young man comes and gets on the bus. There's a seat next to me, and he sits down. And greet. We talk. His name is Wallace. And, and you know, we're beginning to converse, and, and he's a friendly person. We're having a good time talking. He's about my age. And, and the first thing he did was he took out a bottle of NyQuil, like a pretty big bottle of NyQuil. And he uh, goes to me, hey, man, you want some? And uh, I did not actually have a cold right then for a rare occasion in my life. I said, no, no, I'm good, thanks. And, and he slammed the bottle of NyQuil. He, like, drank the whole thing, and his tongue turned green and all that kind of And he was, like, you know, very comfortable with that. And uh, then we... so. We got to talking and chatting. He was, a, he was a conversational person. I was a conversational person. And we began eventually to gravitate to the issue that, that was before all other issues in that period of time. No, not Monica Lewinsky. That was in a couple of years. O.J. Simpson. And uh, yeah, it dominated everything. There was an O.J. channel. And, you know, we started, you know, talking. And it, and it soon became kind of apparent that we were kind of on different sides of the O.J. issue. Um, I believed O.J. did it, and he didn't believe O.J. did it. And, um, you know, at this point, I, I need to point out that I myself had led, like, like a sheltered life up to this point. Um, I grew up in a, you know, a very, fairly well-to-do suburb. I lived in Boulder, which is... You know, all the guys look like Thor. I had just been at a three-hour fish concert. So I was definitely of a demographic type. I was a kind of sheltered white person. There's no other way to put it. And he was, he was a young African-American person. So I saw this as an opportunity to try to bridge America's growing racial divide. Because um, it was polarizing. America was polarizing yet again. It's only gotten worse, but I thought things could not get worse. So, you know, we talked, and we, I didn't argue. I didn't disagree with what he was saying about, you know, how maybe she deserved. You know, I just was trying to figure out where he was coming from because change starts with me. The new shoots of where America is going to become a better place starts with understanding, reaching out to people who have different backgrounds. And you know what? For the next couple of hours, we even talked about some other things, and we had a really cool talk. And he was a cool guy, and I felt like we were really hitting it off. And then we got to the rest stop. Now, anyone who's ever been uh, on a Greyhound bus for any length of time, when you get to the rest stop, you better pee like real fucking fast because they will leave you. You know, that's why it's the bus, not the airplane. The airplane doesn't have rest stops. And, uh, you know, so you go to the rest stop, you get on, you pee real fast, and then you get back on the bus, you whew. And, you know, a couple of minutes, usually those rests are like five, ten minutes. They're not very long. So I just made it back on. And, you know, Wallace isn't there, you know, on the bus. I'm, I'm worried. I'm thinking, where, where's he going to be? I don't want him to miss the bus. And then he kind of gets back on. I thought he was cutting it close. And then the bus, even then, it's still not 
moving. And you know, 10 minutes tick by, 15 minutes tick by. This is really strange. And the bus is still not moving. And then uh, Wallace leans over to me and he kind of whispers something in my ear. I didn't really catch it the first time. I said, I'm sorry, what? Can you, can you say? And he whispers louder, but he is whispering. He goes, reefer. Now, I knew what reefer was. I had just been at a three-hour fish concert. I was well aware. But this was not like a current term. This is like reefer madness. This is not something people... I go, yeah, reefer. Like, what about it? And he said to me, um, look, I don't know how to say this, but can you do me a favor? And, and I said, anything. You know, I wanted to make America better. Anything, you know? And he goes, um, I just... I, did, I, have, I bought some reefer, but my bag is full. Can, can you help me out and, and find some, a little room in your bag for me? And uh, I looked at him right in the eye and I said, absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, we're friends. So I opened my bag, my, my LL, green, LL Bean Green backpack, fish concert, and he takes this like, it's like a quart bag of marijuana. It's like green, you know, it's freshly cut. It looks really good. And uh, I was pretty familiar with marijuana by this point. Uh, this was the second biggest bag of marijuana I'd ever seen because I went to ASU. And uh, then he takes it and he puts it in my bag. And I zip up the bag and, and we're just kind of sitting there for about maybe 20 seconds. And then I start to think about Midnight Express. And then I start to think about those like drug mule ladies who swallow the condoms filled with cocaine. Like they either die or go to jail like the rest of their lives. And then I think like, oh my God, like I don't really know this person that well yet. Uh, and and, and I, I start to get nervous. I start to get, and I, I finally, I look at him and I say, oh, Wallace, I don't think I can do this for you. And he, he shoots me a look of like the purest like disappointment, you know, just like, you asshole. And he, and, he, and he goes, just do me the favor. And I say, I can't. Like, I feel so bad. Like, I'm letting him down, you know. Like, this, this divide I'm trying to bridge, like I'm killing it, you know, by not helping this person out. And I say, I can't. I just can't. He goes, fine. Like, he's disgusted with me. So he takes the reefer out of my bag, cool as can be, and he wraps it in a gray thermal shirt, and he puts it under his seat. That's all, he just puts it under his seat. And I feel so much better, and it's finally, fi finally time for the bus to go. And then, freeze! This is the police! There are illegal drugs on this bus! And I shit you not, like four cops board the bus right then. I'm like, oh my God, I'm like they can smell it on the back. Like they're going to, we're bus, we're so busted, Midnight Express. And the cops get on and they walk right by us and they go to the back of the bus where these like, like Jamaican guys, and they just harass these guys for like 10 minutes. And they're like searching every part of these guys or like looking them up and down. They don't find anything from what I can see. And they say, we are searching everybody's bag. And they do. They open every single person's bag. When they come to me, I open my LL Bean bag like way too eagerly. Like, here you go, officers. Nothing in here. Nothing in here. <laughs> and Wallace, like cool as can be, just opens his bag. Nothing in it, you know. And the cops look. They find nothing. And then, disappointed, they get off the bus. Then and only then does it leave. 
So we get back to talking. We're still friendly. You know, we're still having a good time. We're still chatting. But, you know, the bloom's a little bit off the rose at this point. And finally, when he gets off in Ohio, you know, a couple of hours later, and we're friendly, we shake hands, uh, but we don't exchange numbers. And I, and I never did see him again. And, uh, you know, there's another lesson. Yes, I, I don't really like fish that much. The other lesson is you don't have to be a fucking drug mule for a stranger just because you want to be friendly. Like, you really don't have to do that. And he got off, and he took his reefer with him. But he left the gray flannel sweatshirt, which smelled like a fish concert, and I proceeded to wear it for the next eight years. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's funny, listening to that story again, I almost picture like the sliding doors version of my life <laughs> where, I, where I get busted and then I end up in prison for the next 10 years or whatever it might have been. Could have happened, you know, you never know. And that's why you should never be kind to other people. <laughs> yeah, don't be nice to people. That's They'll the just lesson. Ruin you and take um, of you. Yeah, I love that story. It's it's one of those. You know, we've been together 17 years. We just celebrated our 14th wedding anniversary. So I've heard that story a lot. And every time I'm like, there's this pit in my stomach, and I'm terrified every single time. It never changes for me either. I mean, I've, <sighs> I've, it's one of those moments where you realize you dodged a major bullet in your life. And we always like to think about. Oh my God, you know, why did this happen to me? Blah, blah, blah. How often do we think, oh, thank God that didn't happen to me? It doesn't come up as much, but those things can totally change everything. Absolutely. Well, we have one more storyteller for you. Um, She's just an incredible storyteller. Whenever I see that she's going to be my competition in any of the the moth slams, I just, um, I know that my chances have suddenly decreased a lot of winning. But it's okay because her stories are so wonderful. That, it, that I can't even really get upset about it. Yeah, Kathy Nakari. Um, another one that we saw first and then stalked yes. a bit. And then kind of <laughs> you know, kept on peppering until she had time and was in the show. And, of course, it was wonderful having her. And it's been great getting to know her as well. That's the other nice thing about storytelling. Yes. You don't just get to hear the people, but it's an intimate community. You get to know the people, too. That is so true. Once you've, you know, you you don't have to start with small talk because you already know intimate details about each other's lives. Kathy does this thing that I just love in a storyteller where she she's so funny and she's so warm, but there's always something so poignant and, um, you know, like I, I always have tears in my eyes at the end of her story. And when you can make me laugh and, you know, make me tear up together, I, I know it's a little cliche, like the laughing through tears is my favorite emotion thing from you know still magnolias or whatever but it really is to me the sign of a gifted storyteller it's true another moth grand slam winner I yes believe. oh yes yeah and so without further ado kathy nakari all right the first thing i want you to do is firmly plant the theme song from gilligan's island in your head now You do not want me to sing that, so just do that for me right now. Now, in case you're not old enough to remember Gilligan's Island, I'll give you a little backstory. Or if you didn't watch, like, the sitcom reruns of the 60s and 70s, you have the SS Minnow, a.k.a. Tiny Ship. You've got a skipper who is this hot-headed, male chauvinist blowhard. And you've got his first mate, Gilligan, who's this lovable, kind-hearted fuck-up. <laughs> and then you've got their five passengers. You've got the Howells, 
Thurston Howell III and his wife, Lovey. They're multimillionaires for which money is absolutely no object. And then you've got the professor who uses his scientific uh, intelligence and scientific reason to help them get off the island, but they never listen to him. And then you've got Ginger and Marianne. Now, it used to be you could tell a lot about a guy by how he answered the question, Ginger or Marianne. I mean, you've got Ginger who uses her, you know, um, movie star sexy persona to get what she wants. And you've got sweet Marianne, the lovable girl next door, who manages to make cream pies out of coconuts and sand. Um, so they're supposed to be on this three-hour tour, and they end up in a storm and shipwrecked on this island for like three years. Now, my fateful trip started from the top tropic port of uh, Bradenton Beach Marina aboard our tiny ship, a 16-foot John boat. Now, all seven cast members of Gilligan's Island, the two crew, the five passengers, will all be portrayed by my husband Bob and myself on this episode of Gilligan's Island. Now, just a little backstory here. We had an every other year timeshare condo on Longboat Key. And I was really excited. We're going to the beach this year. But unfortunately, I'd been sick and because of medication that I was taking, I wasn't supposed to be in the sun. But it sure as hell beat sitting in an Ohio living room at my in-laws making small talk, which is what we did on the off years that weren't going to the beach. So he thinks it's a great idea to rent a boat. Now, remember, I'm not supposed to be in the sun, so uh, I'm not right, really on board with this. And so he says, enter... Mr. Howell. Lovey, now he doesn't actually call me Lovey, but the rest of the conversation is pretty accurate. Lovey, I will spare no expense to keep you out of the sun. I'll pay extra for a canopy just for you. You will not see Mr. Howell again in this episode. So, so, so we rent our little 16-foot John boat with the no-expense-spared canopy, and he's so happy. He, he's got this Gilligan grin on his face because he's borrowed every bit of fishing equipment that he can from our, con, uh, from our condo, and he's carrying it down the dock, and he's loading it in with the live bait, and he's just so happy. And I guess I should tell you, he has never fished before. <laughs> Not anywhere, not in the ocean, not on a lake or stream. He has never fished, nor has he ever driven a boat. <laughs> but he thinks if he can just get on the ocean, he can catch the big one, and he's convinced he can do this. So we get in our little boat, and, and, and we head out, and I'm thinking, you know, we're going to tootle around the intercoastal waterways, maybe go down the canals, check out the mansions where the howls live, and then the skipper announces, we're heading for open water. And he f heads out across the main shipping channel of Tampa Bay. And, and I'm like, oh, no, I'm, I've got all these objections for this. But he is determined, and he's flying across there. And then all of a sudden, we're about halfway across, and he cuts the engine. And I'm like, what the hell is he doing? And then he throws out the anchor. And I'm like, oh, my God, why is he doing this? And so I become the professor. And so I give him every scientific and practical reason why we should not be stopping in the shipping channel. 
I tell them, you know, there's barges and, and, and oil tankers that are going to be coming right at us. Now, there's even the remnants of the Sunshine Skyway Bridge just over our shoulder. But there is no discouraging him and no possible way of talking him out of this. And so I think, okay, I'm going to pull up the canopy, get some shade. So I go to pull it up, and it's only attached on one side. So there's snaps on one side, and there's nothing on the other side. So it's just kind of flapping in the breeze there. And he's preoccupied with trying to bait a hook without actually having to touch the live bait. So not exactly a master baiter at this point, but at least for that day anyway. So, so luckily, I, I am preoccupied with, with trying to, to get out of the sun. And luckily, I'm wearing this long flowy skirt and, and this uh, long sleeve blouse. I've got a big floppy hat on and dark sunglasses. Yes, I look like Ginger the movie star. And he's preoccupied with trying to catch the big one. And we don't notice an oil tanker headed right for us. Now, I don't mean, wow, that's a big boat. I mean, oh my fucking God, there is a Titanic headed right for us. So I'm like, Bob, Bob, grab the anchor. We got to move now. He doesn't even look up. So I whack him with my hat, which I know is a very skipper move on my part. Finally, he looks up, and it's, oh, shit. And so we start yanking on the, on, the, on the anchor rope. It won't budge. So he thinks, okay, I'll start the engine, and we'll drag it. Well, the engine doesn't start, and I tell him, because you're flooding the engine. And so we finally manage to, to just hang on for dear life. Somehow, the captain of this massive moving city block misses us by about two feet. And so I think we're going to die. We're going to get sucked under by this massive hole that is just inches away from us. But we don't. And we survive. It goes right past us. And I think, whew. And then we're nearly swamped by the wake that it's throwing up. And so we managed to survive. We didn't die yet. And I become the professor again, and I say, and that's why you don't drop anchor in the middle of the shipping channel. So, okay, he's really pissed now, and he's about to throw me overboard when a captain of a, of a charter boat pulls up right next to us. And so Bob becomes the skipper again, and I don the uh, damsel in distress role as Ginger. And so they try to help us. They, he, he tries to, to pull the anchor in. It won't budge. He tries to start the engine. He says, dude, you flooded the engine. And now, I am struggling to stay in character at that moment. So they end up having to cut the rope to our anchor, and they tow us over to Egmont Key, which is this little island in the middle of Tampa Bay. And uh, he tells us there's a Coast Guard station just on the other side, and he leaves us. Now, I become the professor again, and I tell Bob, according to my calculations and the map of Egmont Key that I had looked at that morning, the Coast Guard station is only about a half a mile just around that bend. But what do I know? He doesn't believe me. He goes right and says, you stay here, watch the boat, I'll be right back. Now, I know he won't because he's going the wrong way. So I think, okay, I'll make the best of it. So in Marianne fashion, 
I get all our, our equipment out. I set up base camp. I unsnap the canopy and make myself a little lean-to in the shrubs that just off the shore. And I stay where I can see the boat because, remember, we have no anchor. And so I'm all proud of myself. I have a sandwich. I slather on more sunscreen. I've got everything set up. I'm really proud for about 15 minutes. And then the sand fleas attack. <laughs> and if you've never encountered sand fleas, they're these horrible little little ocean piranhas that, that uh, just chew on your ankles and your feet, and they leave these itchy red whelps. So I'm forced to sit on the canopy now, and that offers a little bit of uh, protection against the sand fleas. And I think, okay, it could be worse. And then this little cloud comes over, and I'm thinking, yay, I have shade. And now it's raining really, really hard. And so I'm soaked and itchy, and my hat is drooping, and then the sun comes back out, and so I have absolutely no protection from the shade whatsoever, or from the sun whatsoever. And so about an hour and a half later, here comes Bob from the direction I told him to go in in the first place. He doesn't say a word. And in Marianne fashion, I hand him a sandwich. And so finally, the marina comes and gets us, and... <laughs> You know, we weren't stranded for three years like Gilligan's Island, but God, it seemed like it. <laughs> now, Gilligan's Island ran for several seasons, and the Bob and Kathy show managed to run for 29. And now that the Bob and Kathy show has been canceled, I'm ready for a guest spot on the love boat. <laughs> so, thanks. All right, so yeah, that, that was the third story, and... Uh, as always, Kathy did an excellent job. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you for listening to the third episode of Double-Edged Stories, the, the podcast. podcast. Um, and we hope that you will um, subscribe, that you will leave us a review and a rating. and A good one, that is. Well, yeah, if you have something Implied. bad to say, just, like, write it on a piece of paper and you can mail it to us through the mail. That's the best way to get us a negative review, for sure. Um, but mainly, tell your friends. We want this to take off. We want this to be a big deal um, for our storytellers as much as for us because so many people can't come to the shows and this is a great way for everyone to enjoy their stories. Um, we want to remind you that our show is coming up in October. October 18th at the Bardstown in Louisville. Double-edged scary stories. Right. You can find out more about that and everything else we do on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And we just want to thank a couple of people. I want to thank David Surchuk oh. um, for sharing his musical talents for our intro music and we'll play it again for you here at the uh, the end of the show Thank so you. yes he's not only a gifted storyteller he's also a musician as well yeah and uh, that was the intro to the song i wrote called caroline which i played with my band the otter kings yes r.i.p and i want to thank randy for um really being the driving force behind this podcast and for doing a good job producing it as well uh, yes and i'm learning as i go along we also want to thank our videographer Sean. Uh, Sean Kelly, he's no longer with us, but he recorded all these stories. He's alive. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, that sounds weird. He's no longer in Louisville, but uh, he recorded uh, the shows. He always did a very professional job. We miss you, Sean, but we're glad that you're doing well where you are. Gave the best bear hugs, too. He did. Like, just the best. We miss you, and he did such a great job. Um, but we really hope you'll stick with us um, and join us for episode four. Uh, in a couple of weeks from now, join us for our live shows. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>